Before we start, um, as many of you know that we've been spending time this year, at least when you're spending time with me, we're talking about this blessing of Abraham thing. Um, most of us, I think, if, you've, if you were a Christian around in the 70s and 80s and 90s, or if you're you know, following the things of God and during that time, this is probably not the first time that you've heard preaching about the blessing of Abraham. Uh, when I first heard about the blessing of Abraham, I thought for sure this was going to flood around the whole wide world and God was finally going to be able to build heaven on earth and everything was going to be rosy, certainly by the millennium when Jesus was going to come back, or he was one, one of the times he was going to come, evidently. Uh, we thought for sure that we were going to see this manifestation of this amazing thing in the earth. Um, but how many of you know we're still contending for that today? We're still looking for there to be you know, this place in, a, in, a, in the kingdom of God or in the earth today where the blessing of God is actually flowing like we thought it was supposed to be flowing. And so it's really been quite a pursuit of mine, you know, over the last 30 years to, be, to understand what is the purpose of it, what is God actually trying to do, and is in fact it just a really good message to preach on a Sunday morning, or is it what God is trying to do to get us back to to get us connected to as the modern church, the New Testament church. And so we've been spending a bunch of time so far this year really trying to understand uh, what is going to be going on in the soul of a human being when we even first take a glance at what the, the, the blessing of Abraham actually says. Because what it says is these are the things that God is, go is willing today to do in your life. Now, if you've wandered through that scripture at all, you're going to realize that it didn't take you long before you thought, this sounds like a cartoon. This is totally unbelievable that God is willing to do all of these amazing things in my life. And you probably, as we've talked about throughout the year, you probably just let it go thinking, well, that's just, you know, it's just wishful thinking, pie in the sky, that kind of stuff. It isn't really something that God is really willing right now to do in my life to solve the problems and, uh, and, and overcome the impossible that stands between me and where I really believe my life is supposed to go. That's the normal human response to things that God says because when God says them, he's so honest about his outlandishness. How many of you recall in Luke chapter 15 when God is, Jesus is now telling what Charles Dickens said was the most, the, you know, the most beautiful story ever written, which is the story of the prodigal son. It ends with the father, who is the image of God in that parable, talking to the son, who is us, or at least us now. It was the Jewish people when Jesus was telling that story, but it's now included us. And he says to that son, beloved, I am with you always, and all that I have is yours. Now, how much does God has, would you think? God has so much, and yet we're, and it's, it's, un, it's hard for our brain to lock on to the fact that God himself, if God came down right now, walked through these doors, and sat right in front of you, and said, hey, I got something I'd like to tell you, John, everything I have is yours. That would kind of go, um, like I was driving by the, so on the interstate the other day over in Buffalo and whatever, Powerball, is that what the thing is called? $200 million, is that, am I right? Is it called Powerball or something like that? Could you imagine the day somebody would come to you and say that you won the Powerball? What would, like, what would your brain do at that moment? It would kind of be, you'd probably fall on the ground. You couldn't imagine what does it actually mean 
Beloved, I'm with you always, and all that I have is yours. And that's what our challenge is. Anyways, that's what we spent the year with, that our brain sort of like pushes it off into be something religious. It's the only place we could fit stuff like that. Well, maybe God means when we go to heaven when we die. Or maybe God means some other time. Or maybe this is a spiritual thing rather than a natural thing. Or because it's just so unbelievable. It's just like, yeah, but that can't possibly be true. And that's what we're going to try and do now for, then for the rest of this year. Now that we've prepared ourselves with the soul understanding. Because your soul is going to want to sh- throw this stuff away or at least put this on a shelf where it's just kind of like, you know, that, that Royal Dalton figurine that sits up in behind. That's where this belongs. Instead, what God wants it to be, he wants this to be the, the root functionality that runs your entire life. That's why, as you, we will discover now, I'm gonna look at a whole bunch of scripture today, so get, you know, lick your little page flipping finger. Because it's so important that we understand this has been God's purpose from the very beginning of his decision to create humankind. It has never been God's intention for humankind to live like animals, scratching and scraping in the dirt, trying to make life work. That was never God's intention. Instead, there's the mechan- but it's a very precise mechanism as we're going to try and do today. We're not going to get very far today. I'll maybe lay a little bit of an understanding so you can decide whether you want to come to church again next week. <laughs> but we'll get a little bit of an understanding of where do we want to try and get to in, by the end of this year. What is the condition of my soul by the time I do Christmas? What am I really looking to have on the inside of me? Because the challenge, and I think this is kind of where we spent the last few weeks, were sort of helping us New Testament people understand how to relate to an Old Testament book. I've got this tree in my backyard every every year. We didn't do one this year. Oh, we did do one. Good. Here we are. Every year, Pastor Tina finds some tree somewhere that she would like to add to our garden. Come by our house. You'll see that it's, you know, we've been, we lived in this house for a while. And, um, there's this tree that we have in our backyard. It's, it's, it's uh, I don't remember what they call it, but it's a grafted tree. It's a trunk of one tree, and they stick something else in the top of it and grow another thing off the top of it. Have you ever seen trees like that? Uh, and so I think, I think they, have a, they have a name for them, but anyways, it's kind of a grafting process. And so it's kind of like in my backyard there where all the trees back there are fairly mature, except this little tiny little thingy that's sort of sticking in the, in the backyard looking like it don't belong. You know, one of these things, not like the others. So what I was trying to do was I was trying to speed the little sucker along a little bit so that it got big fast. Not realizing that on top of the plant, now realize the trunk is what goes to the roots, obviously. Then there's this little tiny little shoot that goes up and then there's this big head of a plant that's on top. Not only is it a big head that's on top, but I think it's a weed because it grows like fury. What I didn't realize, though, is by when I, this is the second one of these, I'm sorry, this is getting to be a long story. (laughs) This is the second one of these trees that we have planted because Pastor Tina really likes them. And I didn't realize that when we did the first one, I kept it really trimmed back. This one, I'm trying to get it to be big fast, so I'm letting it just go nuts in the backyard. And then what I noticed was in 
August, it all started to die. And I'm thinking to myself, well, the other guy, you can't kill the other guy. He's a weed, and he's furious, and he goes crazy everywhere. How come this guy would be dying? And you know what the Lord showed me? I didn't realize it was going to fit into this teaching, but the Lord talked to me about the tiny little stem isn't able to get enough water up through the stem to feed this really big plant that, is, that I'm allowing to grow on top. When I did the other one, I kept it so trimmed that it was able to keep up. Do you understand? And so we got a whole piece coming in my backyard. You'll, you'll feel my shame. When half of this, you know, a whole half of this tree has now died off. And unfortunately, the half that Tina would look at is she's standing at the back door of the house. <laughs> all because, that's important, all because the plant on the top didn't have a really good conduit to the root. It didn't matter how much water I gave the root, and I gave it a lot because I knew it was hot and I knew this baby was new, so I gave it a lot of water. The problem was I couldn't get the water up the branch. Can I tell you something? The reason that we need to be focusing on God deciding to produce this blessing in the lives of human beings, that it wasn't something that Paul thought of when he wrote the book of Galatians, Instead, it was something that God was reconnecting us to that goes back to the very beginning of time. We're not joining ourselves to a a stem or a trunk of a plant that's brand new. We're joining ourselves to something that has been flowing in the earth now since man was created. And we'll see that if you remember the book in in Genesis chapter 1, when God first creates humankind... He breathes life into them, and then he blesses them. How many of you remember this scripture? And he says, you have been given dominion. He wants you to go forth and multiply, to be fruitful, to subdue the earth. Through the blessing of God, we have been given a place of transcendency over this natural world. Most human beings, matter of fact, I don't know a human being at least not personally do I know anybody who I would consider is operating in a transcendent relationship with this natural world. That they honestly have dominion over this earth. And then we, have, we show up again in, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 9. I'm just recapping for you. In Genesis chapter 9, that's right after Noah and his flood. Noah, the waters settle and Noah finally comes off the boat. And the very first thing that happens is God blesses Abraham and he pronounces the very same blessing over, excuse me, over Noah that he had, that he had prayed or blessed Adam with. God's plan is still exactly the same. And then when uh, Abraham comes along, God then blesses Abraham and he expands, as you'll probably notice in Deuteronomy 28, which we will get to over the fall. We're going to look at that scripture, but those were the blessings that God pronounced over Abraham's life. And then Jesus comes now, that's, and then they lived out of that. And we'll take a look at a bunch of those things that we're going to see how the The blessing of Abraham, those very specific promises are the foundation of everything supernatural that God does in the lives of human beings. And we would say in our day, we say, well, those things are miracles. But in fact, that's really not a good word because miracle to us has the connotation that it's a sovereign move of God that has nothing to do with the lives of human beings 
It's just his decision one day that some person won the, you know, won the lottery wheel spin and you, you know, I guess your number came up to get your miracle today and, you know, sorry about everybody else. We kind of have that way of looking at this word miracle. But in fact, what miracles are, miracles are the manifestation of the blessing of God in your life. Other people will look at it and they'll go, I have no idea how a knucklehead like you got to have that go on in their lives. And because they, they did the knucklehead like you part, they go, well, it must have been a miracle. What is showing up in your life, as we will see going through all of these seasons or uh, these people's lives, as we take the time to look at them over the fall, we're going to see that those things that God is doing in those people's lives you can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and you can find what God did for them on that list. And what God was doing was he was fulfilling his promise. It looked like a supernatural thing that happened or something that just like what, as I'm listening to Rachel right there, talking about that faithful day at the, out at the tent. I can, I can remember the example even to the, the, today. Now, that does, you know, I woke up that day and I had this, you know how you wake up and you're kind of your brain is still pre-caffeinated, you know, that kind of a feeling. The, uh, what I saw in my head was Moses parting the Red Sea. And it just was, a, you know, kind of a Charlton Heston kind of thing that I saw in my head and that was it. And then we get out to the tent and we find out that it's about to rain and storm and there's this big thundercloud coming across right where we are and it's going to arrive somewhere around 11 o'clock when we, so we, I knew we were in trouble, but... I recalled in my head that God had intentionally showed me something when I had woken up that day before I even knew what the weather was. And so there's a thing that happens now, God promising that he's going to make things work out for you, that you'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. That's fairly country. So I'll say that's country and we're going to be blessed there. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't like I'm some super faith guy or I'm, you know, I've extra tongues that day or I've been fasting for two weeks. I just remembered and I went and I said, you know what? You're going to have to part the clouds. And I went back in and, and the, part, the, the, the clouds parted. God had every intention of doing that on my behalf, but it was not a sovereign thing that he did. Right. Because it didn't part for somebody else that was having something else go on, I don't think, and not everywhere. God needs us to be able to partner with him. That's why he shows us things as we are going to discover how do we walk forward inside of this blessing of Abraham manifesting in our lives? Then people will look at you, as we'll discover, and they will say, wow, your life is full of miracles. What they're actually seeing going on in your life is the blessing of God. And that as we continue to go forward, learning how does this thing even work? Because most people would say, even today, that miracles happen, maybe they do, and maybe they don't. That's up to God. Sometimes he loves you, and sometimes he doesn't. And sometimes he wants you to fall flat on your face, and sometimes he wants you to rise up and get the gold medal. God is just super unpredictable like that. He's just kind of a schizophrenic, psychopathic kind of... No, that's not God. I thought often, recently, that God is like that, because I couldn't figure him out until I realized there's a way that God works. There's a way that creation works. 
if we do it the way creation says to do it, that's why when at the beginning of, the, of, the, of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says you got to hearken diligently. Remember Shama Shama, where you're all here for Shama Shama? You got to hearken diligently. It's the same thing that your, your, your DVD player says, or your, I don't know what you would use now. What do you call those things that they use now? I used to say VC, VSR, but nobody understands what that even is anymore. VCR, yes. Give me a really good hard thing that you have to program in order to make it work. Children. How about uh, children? But you see, nowadays, when, when, anyway, when, back when I started using this example, there was a thing called a VSR, if you don't know, a VCR, if you don't know what that is. But it was the most frustrating contraption on the planet. You always would set it to record something and you'd come home and, you know, you want the ball game on or something like that and you just get the reruns of Barney or something when you finally get home <laughs> because it was so complicated. But if you happen to do it right, then it would work. That's my point. And that's what God has been diligent with since the very beginning of time, just simply trying to explain to human beings how the system worked. And now what we've had going on in the season then is that God has had different kinds of human beings that he's trying to work with. Adam, before the sin, that, the apple thing, uh, was a very different person than Adam after the apple thing. So he had, now God is interacting with a being that operates just like God, created in the image and likeness of God, and God could communicate directly with Adam and empower him to be flowing as God flows in his realm, Adam flowed in this realm. Right. Now, then we go into the sin time when now God speaks Chinese or speaks Mandarin and we speak English. And it's just yeah. ridiculous how hard it is for God to be able to communicate with us. That's kind of why you see the blessing of Abraham, the way that it's expressed. You just got to do what you're told. Don't ask any questions. Don't try to figure it out. Just do what I'm telling you to do. Don't worry. It'll work. But it's not going to make any sense to you. And then when we get to, uh, get to the New Testament, we find out that in Hebrews, we have a better covenant. What does it mean to have a better covenant? It means God's saying now, instead of it just being something that you had to understand with your mind and do it because I told you to do it, uh, Hebrews tells us that it's going to be written on your mind and your heart. Right. Now, it's a better covenant because it's not only something that I understand what I'm supposed to do. I can begin to grow <clears throat> and understand why I'm supposed to do it. Now when I understand that I'm doing something and why I'm doing it, I can, either, I can certainly choose not to do it if I don't think it's worthwhile for me, or I can choose to do it, but I'm doing it because of an expectation that I have based on my understanding or my belief in the project. <clears throat> now, when Abraham was, Abraham was this amazing person. Let me go back to some more importance of why we connect to Abraham and why this has been such a problem for us. <clears throat> when the early church separated, sort of the Jews went one way and the Christians went the other way, and now they are two separate, as we would refer to them, religions. God, first of all, never expected the Jewish nation or the Jewish, whatever, his communication with the Jewish people to become a religion. It was a national constitution 
that was a, what we refer to as a theocracy, a country that is, that is foundationally formed upon the laws of God. And then when Christianity came along, Christianity was always intended to be something that was grafted in, like my plant, grafted in to a, to a system that had been flowing since the very beginning of time. If we would have done that, what would have happened was is that we would have still held on to what God had been doing back in the beginning of time. Because most people now, you're probably, if you go to your paper Bible, the book of Leviticus probably is still stuck together. Right? Nobody goes back there and reads this stuff. Maybe you blew, you blew through it. You got, you know, you got through a, a little bit when you first got saved. You got through Genesis. Most everybody gets through Genesis. But then it starts to really bog down after you get out of Genesis. And it's not, man, you get to the first couple pages. I got one. First couple pages of Leviticus. And so when you get there, we've lost all of that stuff. And now we're trying to, like the poor little tree in my backyard, we're trying to grow big when our root system is actually very small. We've kind of did this whole protestant thing where we protested, right? I'm not saying that, our, that the fathers did things right. I, I'm, I'm saying they didn't. That's what God is restoring right now is this, this thousand years is going to be a, a restoration of the father heart of God in the earth. Because it's a matter of where the fathers of the religious fathers have always tried to eat their sons. And so we've always had to have this thing going off the side where we protest and rebel against our fathers in religious terms. So anybody that was in the past move of God, we always try to throw them away. And that's what happened with the early church when it came to the Jewish religion was they wanted to divide. As they divided, they got rid of their root system. They decided they were going to dig their own river instead of just jump into the river that was already there and deepen the river because we didn't just have to sit there because of knowledge or understanding. We now, through Jesus' sacrifice to set us free from the blindness of our own sin, now we can see what God is saying and why he's saying it. I'm able to embrace it. As I'm able to embrace it, now I am able to be obedient without feeling like somebody's telling me I have to do it, which is automatically going to offend my sovereignty as a human being, and I'm going to try and say, I don't want to do that. As opposed to if you say, would you like, you know, you have to eat this ice cream, or would you like to eat this ice cream? Which one do you think you like better? Right? Would you like to? Right? Give you the option. Give you the choice. Yeah, really, either one. Thank you. Thank you. So what I want to talk to you about then is, I think there's a, there's a, the, the knowledge of the blessing of Abraham, it's always a problem where people, they want the apples off the tree, but they don't want the tree. And I think that's where we've run into trouble with trying to understand this thing called the blessing of Abraham. Because the blessing of Abraham isn't actually the important factor. And here's what I want to share with you, is that it, it, when we go back to uh, Noah, if you go to uh, Genesis chapter 9, again, this is where uh, Noah has come off the boat, uh, and he, God blesses him, says the same thing over, to, uh, over him that he said over Adam, and then God says to Noah, and maybe we should maybe go there in your Bibles, I'm going to go there myself, because it's really important that we see this, very, this, this particular uh, connection. 
Uh, go to uh, Genesis chapter 9, Old Testament, Genesis 9. Oh, Exodus is not the right one. Fat fingers, Genesis chapter 9. And go to verse 9 there, and it says, As for me, beloved, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And God said, this is the sign. This is now the, 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 the rainbow thing. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I have made between me and you and every living creature that is with you uh, for perpetual generations. And so what God is tying together when it comes to the, uh, the blessing of Abraham or the blessing of God that is a covenant blessing on us is that God is always interested in creating a covenant between himself and a human being. Right. What's important about that, and we're going to try and really understand this, because I could tell you right now that for, for the most part, even though we know that we have a covenant with God, even Pastor Jeremy was talking about that when it came to communion, we, we, I do not believe we have a really good revelation of what that covenant is. And here's why that's important, that when you have a covenant with somebody, that covenant is going to produce an expectation. Like if you imagine we were at Mike and Chelsea's wedding yesterday, as they, congratulations to Mike and Chelsea, when they were making vows to one another, they were entering covenant with each other, and through those vows, they were creating expectancies between them. That's why we do this whole thing called marriage. Actually, the marriage part, although the food is great and all the fun and the family and all that's wonderful, what is important about a marriage is that they are making vows, promises to one another that they can then count on the other person fulfilling their part of that promise. I promise to take care of you. I promise to love you. I promise to be happy with you. I think they said, I promise to laugh with you. I promise to, uh, anyways, I was, I was paying attention. I'm just getting a little, uh, you know. <laughs> but those were all promises. But what those promises do is they create expectations. Yes, How many of you have heard that word before in this building? How important your expectancy is when it comes to the the working of spiritual things in your life. This single concept of expectation is enormously important. And if you go to Romans chapter four there, remember when we were talking about this kind of time in Abraham's life and God is describing how did the blessing of God or the promises of God show up in Abraham's life. And he was saying that he had this thing called hope. Hope is the expectation. When we have a covenant, we have an understanding of the covenant, the promise of God, and, and more so his nature, the nature of the person behind the promise, right? Like I could promise you a million dollars, or Warren Buffett could promise you a million dollars. Which one would you like better, right? Because you know the, pro the ability of Warren Buffett you may not know my ability. You would say it's better based on the, what I know about Warren Buffett that he would make that promise to me. The reason that covenant is so important is because it creates not only an expectancy, but it, it has the power to create a 100% confident expectancy. Right. Why? Because of the person, God, 
being the one that made the promise to you. Because I tell you, when, it, when, when, you know, when the storms are flying, when the trouble is, on all, all, is all around, the key is, how do I honestly expect I'm going to be able to get out of this? If I have to maintain an expectation in the midst of what I think is an impossible situation, the only thing that's actually going to work for me is if I honestly believe somebody is going to be able to get me out of this. Somebody has got an answer for me. Somebody in, this, in, my, relation, in my life is going to be able to do the impossible. Otherwise, if I don't believe that, I'm just going to fall apart. Of course you're going to fall apart. That's what you're supposed to do when things are impossible. But doing miracle, or having miracles show up in your life is contingent upon, can I maintain a fully persuaded expectation when everything is hitting the fan? Because if I can do that, then I open the door, I create the right alignment because my soul, I know what the truth is, God's promises are true, and I know what, my, what situation I need corrected. The problem is it's gotta go through my soul. And if my soul gets out of line, the, the circuit is broken and I can't get that spiritual power to show up in my life. As much as this sounds like hocus pocus, as we go down through the scriptures and you start seeing in people's lives and you hear about testimonies of what goes on around you, the key of it is going to be able to identify it, when it happens, it happens because of this dynamic. When it doesn't happen, it happens because there's a break somewhere in that dynamic. And you don't have to get, feel bad about that. All I got to do now is identify where the problem is and sh get it back in line. I don't got to worry about all the 45,000 other things that, that needed to be attended to. I just need to get my soul back into alignment. When I get my soul back into the alignment, and the key to doing that is having an understanding of what did God say? Well, you know, certainly first an understanding of who is God, and then what did he say? And what did he promise you? If he cannot, under any circumstances whatsoever, ever, ever, not in this life or the next, not in this dimension or any of the other billions that he may have created, he can never not do what he said he would do. It's not possible. He can't even do that. The whole, the, the wild card, if you will, in the whole expression of does the blessing of Abraham, are miracles showing up in your life, is simply, can I hold on to my expectancy in the face of what appears to be impossible situations? It's just simple. That's why when God came down and he, and he interacted with human beings, he always wanted to cut a covenant with them. If we go to the one now where, where we have uh, Abraham now, if you turn over to Genesis, I'm way off my notes here. Um, let me see, where am I? Uh, yeah, go to Genesis chapter 14 or 15. Let's just go there together. I, I can't see it in my notes. I've got too many bits and pieces of notes everywhere. No, it's not uh, 14. So it's got to be 14. Uh, uh, 14, 15 maybe, yeah, okay, 15 chapter, tw uh, verse 12 there, and now you see in the very beginning of this, of, of 15, 
And these things the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham, for I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. How many of you like God to show up with you tonight and say, I am your shield, I'll protect you, and I am your exceeding great reward, I'll provide for all of your needs. How many of you say, Yeah, I'd like that to happen for me? That's what God just did for Abraham. But look down here, and he said, in verse 8 there, he said, Lord, how shall I know that I will inherit it? What's his question? What's he trying to do? He's trying to get an expectancy. He says, yeah, 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 I woke up in the middle of the night and I had this crazy dream, honey, but I'm not really sure what it means. How many of you ever had that? Sure. We've all had one of those. What did Abraham do? Abraham had to go back and he said, Lord, how do I know that this dream that you, or vision that you just gave me is actually going to come to pass in my life? How do I know that I'm going to inherit it? And now listen. And now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And he said, Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs, and they will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. Let me just switch my, so I can actually read. And also a nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterwards they will come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they will return here, for their inequity of the, of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God is basically giving him, showing him things to come. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between the two pieces. That is the, sorry, that's the, in verse 11 there. Uh, basically, oh, sorry, I, I, I didn't do go early enough. Verse 9, the Lord says, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. How many of you say we're grateful we don't do that anymore? Then he brought, a, it would definitely make a mess out of this excellent shirt that I have on right now. Then he brought all these things to him and cut them into two pieces. So he basically cut them down the middle and they fell each side and all the blood and guts would have been poured on the inside. Imagine my shoes all the way down the inside there. <clears throat> and he brought them and cut them into two down the middle and placed each piece on, in, on either side. But then he cut the bird, he didn't cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down, Abraham drove them away. And then what happened? God said about his future. And then he said, it came to pass and went down that a burning torch... And a, and a smoking oven, basically, I, I, I'm trying to imagine how this would be, but kind of like two glowing lit, lit things would be kind of moving back and forth between the two halves of carcasses over top of all the goo that is in the middle there. That's, this is basically what was happening. And on that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your descendants, I have given you this land, and da-da-da-da-da. So what's, what, why is this so important? And we don't do this kind of stuff anymore. And that's where we run into trouble is that we kind of do lawyers to make agreements. We don't even really hold on. I mean, marriage, I think they 60% divorce rate nowadays. We don't even kind of care much about this thing called covenants and all of that. And so it's not really easy for us to be able to step into a place where you receive this covenant experience with God and it really means something to you. But can I tell you something, in Abraham's life, it really meant something to him. In the way the world worked in those days, covenants were everything. There was no police, there was no security systems. All you had was agreements with all the people that lived around you. 
and you would make agreements and everybody would hold on to their agreements. It was the fabric on which the world ran, much like the way our world works on laws and courts and all of these type of things. So when God is doing this with Abraham, what he's doing it for is to create an awareness on the inside of his soul that he has a covenant with almighty God. Can I tell you something? I was with Matt Brown, Matt Brown Pastor Matt Brown, or Bishop Matt Brown, whatever, I, don't, I can't remember now what his actual title is. But he's like the, in, the, in the senior leadership of uh, Church of God in Christ. And one of uh, Bishop Tommy Reed's close uh, sons, people that have been raised up under his ministry. And he was talking about this whole covenant concept really quickly in a teaching. We were at a meeting with him the other day. And he said this profound words. He said, covenant is the decision that we are going to stay together forever. And then in brackets, no matter what comes. <laughs> Isn't it very interesting? I thought, I, I have never heard such a simple, profound, but accurate definition of what a covenant is. Because it doesn't kind of have any boundaries. Well, I'll love you until you get goofy and have bad breath. You know, no, it doesn't work like that. There is no boundaries to what a covenant is going to be. For richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, no matter what goes on in our, so it's kind of like it just keeps expanding outward. So you can't really say, well, you're doing good with your covenant if, because there's no ifs. And so he said that the other day and it was like, man, that is what a covenant is. So what is Abraham getting when he's sitting in the middle of this vision of all of these things, smoking pots and, you know, all of this stuff that's going on around him? What's he getting from that? He's getting almighty God came down and said to me, Abraham, you and me, we're going to be together forever. No matter what comes, no matter what you need, no matter how this goes, you and me, we're together forever. Amen. What? It's like what the bride experiences or the husband experiences on their wedding day when they say those death to us part kind of a things. I can be confident that you and me are going to be together forever. The strength, that's with a human being. The strength that that creates on the inside of a human being. You know, when I wake up every morning and, and Pastor Tina is laying beside, well, she's usually up and gone to prayer, but she's in the next room. I can hear her in there. She's, she's always there. I've hardly ever woke up any morning, maybe three or four times in our entire lives together, that we have not woken up, in the, at least in the same house. She's normally, she's a bit, a bit of an early riser compared to her husband. What does that feel like? You see, that's what God is trying to get us to understand. He's trying to get us to realize that each one of us, through the sacrifice, as Jeremy was saying earlier today, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, God engrafted us in to a covenant that he had with, Abraham, with, with, with Adam, then Noah, then Abraham, and Abraham's descendants, and then through Jesus, grafted in all of the Gentiles. 
that we are living in an experience right now where God has promised you everything that he promised to Abraham. Not you and Abraham. You. You have been given that promise. When we can get the expectation that what God said is actually going to come to pass in my life. You get covenant produces expectation which ends up in blessing. Or in the New Testament, we kind of use this word, miracle. That you will live a miracle lifestyle simply because I have the promise of God and the nature of God and I realize that he has said that to me. Can I tell you? That's what Abraham experienced. When we look at Abraham, we see this guy who did extraordinary things in his life. In in Genesis chapter 13, it says this this vagabond shepherd that came from like far away became one of the richest people in his area. We see in Genesis chapter, I think it's 14, when he's uh, you know, when Lot gets taken by the king Sherdeleomar and all of his buddies, then Abraham, out of his household, gathers together an army that goes and defeats all of this consortium of kings and brings back all of their stuff. And we see, in, and even in, if you look at this, uh, go to Genesis, uh, where is it? Genesis chapter 21. This guy, Abimelech, have you ever heard the name of a guy named Abimelech? Abimelech was one of the big kings. As a matter of fact, you know where, where, where uh, Abraham's well is? That's how he got to be so rich that water is like gold in the desert. How many of you know that water is like, I'd rather have water than gold if I live in a desert? How many of you say that? That's why Abraham got rich, because he had this well. And the deal, he, he made a deal with King Abimelech to use the well, which was on Abimelech's property. So, so Abraham was kind of like a sub-guy to Abimelech. Listen to the words of Abimelech as he's talking about Abraham. He said, God is with you. This is Genesis 21, 22. God is with you and all that you do. This is Abimelech seeing what in Abraham's life? He's seeing the blessing. He's seeing like, dude, you got miracles around you all the time. How in the world can you go from some nomad from somewhere else And all of a sudden, you become this enormous person who's rich and powerful and able to do whatever he wants to do. And the kings of his day are observing how blessed he is. All that simply because he had a covenant with God and he knew what that meant. When he faced every one of his challenges, like you do in your life, we all face challenges. Abraham faced challenges. The key is, are you facing that challenge alone? Or are you facing that challenge with a full, red-hot expectancy that God is going to do what he promised he would do? Can I tell you, over the next couple of months, that's what we want. That's what we want. We don't want, there's no more time for fake. There's no time for, I mean, I'm sure, fake it till you make it. I'm, I'm big on fake it till you make it. 
The power of pretending. Pretend you have a covenant with God and see how that goes. I, I, you should do that. Yeah. But can I tell you something? It's time. Yeah. It's time for the double portion Pastor Alex was talking about last week. It's time for the rest. Yeah. It's time for the Sabbath. Yeah. It's time for the kingdom of God to come forth. It's time for God and his ways to start having preeminence yeah. in and through our lives. Amen. Enough with the religion that is satisfied to know there is such a thing as the blessing of Abraham. Enough with that. Let's do what it takes over the next few months as we roll out this I Believe in Miracles campaign that every one of you would wake up in the morning and say, I believe I have a covenant with God. Yeah. And so I believe the blessings of God, the blessing of Abraham is going to show up Amen. today. Amen. So I believe in miracles. Amen. I believe in them showing up every day in every circumstance, causing my life to look like Abraham's, causing my life to look like God is with me and with everything I do. Put your hand over your heart. And say, Heavenly Father, I know that you've called me to the kingdom for such a time as this. I do believe in miracles. And now it's the season in my life for the double portion. It's the season in my life for supernatural increase in everything I do. That's the truth. And I'll live out of that truth and the blessing that it creates for the rest of my life. For the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.